This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson, and I'm really glad you're joining me today. My guest is Rachel Barkley. She's a mom to six-month-old baby Hudson, but she's been on a journey most new moms couldn't even imagine. Three weeks after giving birth to her son, doctors discovered a massive tumor in Rachel's spinal cord after she woke up unable to feel her leg one morning. She had to undergo surgery immediately and did so not knowing if the tumor was cancerous or if she'd ever be able to walk again. Talk about a scary situation and to have that all happen just weeks into motherhood, incredibly overwhelming. I talked to Rachel today about her diagnosis, surgery, spending months in an inpatient rehab hospital, and finally heading home with a long road ahead of her. Rachel is one of the sweetest people I've ever met, and it was an honor to hear her story, which is still ongoing, as you'll hear. I'm so thankful that things are going well for her, and no doubt you'll be rooting for her full recovery by the end of this episode. Her attitude and approach amaze me. Enjoy this episode with Rachel Barkley. Uh, Well, thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for asking. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure. Like a couple of people had said, like, have you thought about interviewing Rachel? And I was like, I don't know if she'd be ready to, you know, do a whole interview about it. But I was like, I'll just reach out because it because like I said, like I had already considered asking you. But then when two more people mentioned, I was like, all right, this is a sign I'm supposed to ask her. <laughs> you know, I obviously tell my story a lot when I see people. Um, and then I've been pretty open on social media and whatnot. Um, and it, I've been kind of discerning, like, how much should I tell? But I feel like the more I tell, even though the story's not done yet, the more I tell, the more God keeps using it. And people kind of come out of the woodwork to tell me, you know, how much it has helped them through something. So I feel like, all right, God, this is a sign I should keep telling it, even though it feels weird because I'm in the midst of it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll just we'll just jump in since we're already talking. We might as well. Okay. Uh, so for everyone that's listening, I'm, I'm talking to Rachel Barkley, and she um, is a friend of mine from back of my days in Washington, D.C., and I'm so lucky that I've been able to keep so many great connections from my life there. And I, you know, you and I, we've been following each other and just, just like people do on Facebook and all of that. And um, I was so excited for you earlier this year when you had your baby, Hudson, who he's six months old now, right? Yeah, almost seven months. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, you know, this exciting time in life. And uh, so I guess before we jump into the story, just give us a little background on who you are, where you live, and who your family is. Sure. Um, So my name is Rachel Barkley, and I live in Washington, D.C., and have been here since 2011, Um, worked in the same world that you did in kind of um, Republican conservative politics. Uh, My husband also works in this world. We met through work. Um, Taylor, he's an amazing man, and uh, we've been married for three years, and we just had our first baby, Hudson Taylor Barkley, on May 21st. All right. And he is, you guys, he is seriously one of the cutest babies. Like, you know how some babies, you know you have to say somebody's baby is cute, but this one, 
really one of the cutest I've ever seen, Rachel. So <laughs> congratulations on that. I, I, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, you're a little biased. Um, so, so your story that part of what we want to talk about today, though, is what happened very shortly after Hudson was born. And I, I'm talking about, isn't it, wasn't it about three weeks that this happened? Yeah, three weeks to the day, actually. Yeah. So here you are, you're a new mom, you're three weeks in. I mean, it's, that's the most, I mean, it's such an overwhelming, it's such a joyful time, but it's very overwhelming. It's got, there's a lot of anxiety. You know, you just got a baby out of your body. So your body is already out of whack. Um, And so tell us the story of what then happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, a little before I had Hudson, I had started to get a little bit off balance and was um, had a, a worse than normal pregnancy waddle. And people would remark that, wow, you, you're really having a struggle there walking. And I just thought, oh, I was, I'm just the baby sitting on a nerve, something's up. Um, you know, he was a pretty big baby. So maybe that was it. And then um, almost every day after I had him, um, every day would get progressively worse. And I just you know, about two weeks after having him could not really walk without leaning on my husband. And that was really difficult. Um, You know, you're trying to care for this baby and you can barely walk holding him, you know. And did you have a normal delivery and everything? I did. Everything went really well. Um, The only difficult part was my epidural took an hour and uh, two different doctors with four different insertions to get it in. So I thought oh. maybe actually an epidural problem. Um, that was the most traumatic part of my labor, actually. So I thought maybe that was it. Maybe they hit a weird nerve. Um, and I had some really bad back pain that I'd had ongoing for about three years. But, you know, I was a runner. I was active my whole life. I thought it was just, up. Oh, this is getting older. You start having neck and back pain. Um, but then after having him... As my my balance and my walking was getting worse, um, my neck pain was just excruciating to the point where, you know, it's normal. You're not sleeping much when you have a baby, but I wasn't sleeping at all because I couldn't lie lie down without being in terrible searing pain. And was it on like one side or the other or just your whole neck? It was my my left side. So kind of from my neck down into my shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, a funny story, I was, uh, when I was about 20 weeks pregnant, I'd had this pain. It wasn't as bad as at the end there, but I'd had it ongoing. And I Googled my symptoms, which they say, you know, never of course. Your <laughs> and it came up um, that a woman had a spinal cord tumor. Um, and I, you know, being a pregnant woman, I, I, everything seems worse than it is in the moment. And I, I went to my husband, I was like, I have a tumor or cancer. And he said, Oh, don't worry. Don't read what, you know, worry about what WebMD says. That's never a good idea to Google your symptoms. And I went back to that article and it ended up being the same exact thing. So this was like the one instance where yeah. Google was right. Oh my goodness. So you, I, I didn't realize this, cause, but I was, I was doing some research before we talked today and I you you said you had this some of this pain for a couple of years and you just blamed it on just a plain old pinched nerve. You just thought, oh, it's just like one of those things. Um, and so then what what was it that, you know, it was the severe neck pain, but then you had a morning, right, where you woke up and, and things were just completely off. Yes. Yeah. So um, exactly three weeks from when I had Hudson, um, I woke up one morning and I told my husband, bring me the baby so that I could feed him. 
And I go to move my leg and absolutely nothing. I couldn't even wiggle a toe. My brain said move and my toe wouldn't move. Could you feel anything on your leg? You know, I don't, I don't even remember that. (laughs) Um, I just remember this, like, I can't move it at all. I don't remember Mm -hmm. whether it was uh, numb or not at the time. And I just, the feeling of sheer panic of this is not connecting set in and, um, I just told him we got to go to the ER. I don't know what's up. Uh, very true. We had to figure out how to get from the second story of my house down the, you know, eight steps down the front of the house, um, into the car when I couldn't walk my, my father-in-law and my husband kind of carried me down. And, um, it was a very terrifying feeling. What was going through your mind at that point? At that point, it was just, um, this is so indescribable. What on earth is going on? This has to be some pinched nerve. And it really was, you know, I'm on my way to the hospital. They're going to find out what nerve in my leg is pinched um, from labor or something. And I'll be back to normal in a couple days. Like the ER, they're going to fix it. It's some labor-related thing. Yeah. And so you guys went to the ER and then what happened? So we went to the ER and, you know, they gave me all sorts of scans and tests, um, starting with my brain. So, you know, they were testing me for MS at first, which was very scary. And so they did a brain uh, CT, then a brain MRI, and then a lower back MRI. And at this point, you know, my neck pain was so painful that laying in an MRI tube was excruciating. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't give me any like pain alleviating drugs except for Tylenol um, because we didn't know what it was. So I was just in terrible pain. Um, and I guess it was about after two days of being in the hospital and having these tests, they were going to discharge me because they couldn't figure it out. All my MRIs came up clear. Oh my gosh. They said, we can't just keep you in the hospital just because you can't walk. That's what they told. My mom had flown in at that point. Um, and that's what they told her. And, um, so she said to the doctor, you know, she's been having this terrible neck pain. Will you please do an MRI of her upper um, back and neck? And they said, well, okay, that doesn't seem like it's connected to why her leg would be dead, but we'll do it. And, um, they did the MRI and I, I mean, I think the doctors were shocked as well that I had a large eight centimeter tumor growing in the middle of my spinal cord. Uh, which is a very rare, rare thing to happen. And the neurosurgeon here at the community hospital that I went to said that it could be one of two types of tumors. One that's normally a benign tumor that is easier to extract. And then it could be um, a cancerous tumor that kind of grows like a spider web into your spinal cord. That that I would probably have to get chemo and radiation. and they wouldn't know what kind of tumor it was until after they operated on me, opened up you know, my spinal cord, got it out, and sent it off to testing. That's the only way to know what kind of tumor. And further, uh, once they operated, they wouldn't know whether they can extract the whole tumor until they were in there because they don't know um, to what extent it, it has grown into the spinal cord or not. Um, and then to add to the risks, they also told me that um, – Anytime that you touch the spinal cord, it's so delicate and has so many um, kind of unknowns that when I woke up, I wouldn't 
we wouldn't know on the front end whether I would wake up um, with what movement and sensation I could I had a 25% chance of waking up quadriplegic oh my Uh, goodness so it was just (laughs) I mean in that in that I just like how, how did you emotionally take that was it kind of like were you in shock in shock and just um just disbelief we uh went from what was the highest high of our life three weeks prior in the same hospital having my baby put on my chest to the absolute lowest of the low of being told this you know terrible thing that I'd never even heard of before um and I just you know I remember my husband and I just lay in that hospital bed sobbing for a long time um and I, I, I think either of us would say we've never felt lower um, than that that day. And at this point, I mean, is is faith a part of your story? Did you did you start praying about it? Oh, immediate. I mean, praying about it from the second we were in the car going to the ER. Um, and faith has been the the only thing that I think has gotten us through this. Um, it's something that uh, there's no reason for it. It's totally unexplained. There's nothing that I, I did to cause this. Um, and so the only one I feel like I can turn to is God in, in these, especially those super dark moments. And is, did you, did you feel, was that a comfort to you? I guess I'm just curious, like when you did reach out to God and you guys were praying, like, did you feel like he was hearing you? Did it, did it feel like it was helping? Yes. I mean, um, it was really in the midst of the darkness. Um, God would show up and answer our prayers in little ways. And, uh, the, the first kind of big, big example of this is we were in this community hospital and, um, that neurosurgeon gave us the prognosis and he, let's just say he didn't exactly inspire confidence of what my outcome would be. And with such an uncertain surgery and such a big surgery, we just didn't know what to do or who to turn to. I mean, how do you, how do you know what surgeon to go with for something so monumental? Right. And, um, friends of our family back in Florida started calling around every doctor they knew, every hospital to find who would be the best surgeon in the country for this rare surgery. And they found this surgeon, neurosurgeon at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, which, you know, is right up the road from us in D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, he sounded amazing. And he he called my dad and my dad just said the conversation he had with him just um, turned from being really dark to suddenly hopeful. My dad felt hopeful of what my outcome could be. And um, we our pastor came in and prayed with us as right after we found out and we were searching for who to go to the surgery for pastor was in the room praying for us to have bright light clarity on where to go for this surgery. And as he was praying, who calls, but the doctor from Johns Hopkins, he calls us in our room as our pastor was praying while he's calling us, (laughs) the neurosurgeon that gave us the prognosis at the local community hospital knocks on the door and tells my dad, hey, you know, I'm thinking about it. I think she should really go to Hopkins instead of having it here. So it was just amazing. Wow, yeah. All, all while we were praying for this bright light clarity, that happened. And it turns out 
Dr. Shuba was the best possible surgeon in the country we could go to for this. He had just gone um, and had the surgery done on a woman who was pregnant a couple weeks before me. Um, and every time I talked with him, I just felt so confident that he was going to get the best outcome. Yeah, that's, I can imagine how, how much of a difference it would make to feel like you had this great connection with the doctor and for them and their attitude and just the way that they communicate to you, how, how much of a difference that would make. Totally. And, you know, um, the verse that I really clung to right before surgery was Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And I just had this vision of that victorious, God's victorious right hand being around Dr. Shuba's right hand going into surgery. And, you know, throughout all the ups and downs and all the uncertainties these past couple months, I'd say the night before surgery, it was like this almost like crazy piece that I should not have had the night before this surgery. So from the time that you got this diagnosis, they're like, it could be a cancerous tumor or you could be a quadriplegic to the day that you went into surgery, how much time passed? So I went into the ER on a Tuesday and then I transferred to Hopkins on a Sunday And then I had the surgery that following Wednesday. Okay. So it was basically from ER to surgery. It was like eight days. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm wondering, like, because to me, I'm putting myself in this situation. I'm thinking of your your little boy. And I'm I'm about to cry right now, Rachel, just thinking about it. Um, But, I mean, that is like such a range of possibilities for what it could have been. Um, And so... I guess, you know, the, in the hours before, I mean, you said you, you had some kind of a strange or an unlikely piece, but in those hours before, um, just before, you know, you had to be put to sleep and you had to say goodbye. I mean, what was going through your mind? Oh. Oh, well, I know my family, I think, was almost more scared than I was. I think um, I had had so much family around. So we had tons of family and friends that flew in to Baltimore to be with us that week. Um, that hospital room was all overflowing with people, which I think actually in hindsight helped me um, not to, to be dwelling on it um, mm-hmm. and helped me kind of guard me from really going to a very dark place, you know, like a kind of alone with my thoughts on what yeah. could happen. Um, and I, you know, I don't think it really sunk in and I don't think I let it sink in maybe as a form of protection mm-hmm. um, and just the, this neurosurgeon and his team had such a confidence that I just felt like, yeah, I know the risks, but these guys know what they're doing. Um, God brought me here to Hopkins. It's no accident that, you know, I live an hour away from this hospital with the best neurosurgeon in the country on this. Mm-hmm. Um, And just this amazing support that I had with, you know, and my husband's just been so wonderful um, that I just felt like everything was going to be all right, even if I didn't know how I was going to come out the other side. I just had this feeling that it was going to be all right. So you didn't, it sounds like you didn't have any expectations. You just weren't going to imagine anything. You were just going to let it be. Exactly. That's what 
the the surgeon said to us, you know, we don't know because I had him. I asked him a million times. Well, what do you think's going to happen? What, what do you think? <laughs> how do you think I'll end up? And he said, we can't answer that. All we know is things are going to be different. And that's just something we've actually clung to this whole time is that, nope, we don't know what the future is going to look like. We just know that it's going to be different. Okay. All right. So you, you then you go into the surgery and I remember seeing, you know, I remember seeing these posts on Facebook. I think your husband probably put it up or a friend put up, you know, an update, like here's what's going on with Rachel, like, please, please pray. And, you know, we're all, I mean, I'm just over here, like just praying for you and so worried. Um, so tell me, what was it like? Like you came to after surgery. I mean, I can't imagine what that must've felt like to then wake up and wonder like what happened. Yeah, waking up was um, was very difficult. I I think just that no expectations at the beginning. I didn't. I maybe thought it was going to be better than it was. <laughs> um, and waking up, I I still didn't have my right leg when I woke up. It wasn't moving, and. Not only that, but my left leg also wasn't moving, and I didn't have sensation or feeling or know where my left leg was. Um, so this, like, oh, I've lost both of my legs' movements now. And then my left arm was weaker, and the worst part was um, I woke up, and I felt like my hand was up above my head in a claw, my right hand, and I looked down and my hand's actually down by my side. Oh, it just wow. phantom feeling. And the claw feeling was almost painful. Um, and then I had this this terrible burning where they had put kind of one of the bigger IVs in. And I think they had kind of missed the mark a little bit. And I had this terrible burning that went on for about a day. Um, and so I just remember kind of waking up and as they were bringing me back to that hour before my husband could come back being just panicky of like, why is my arm doing this? Why are my legs not working? And just kind of panicking, thinking the way I feel now is how I'm going to feel forever. Yeah. Um, and thinking, Oh no, I really am a quadriplegic and um, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to have to live like this. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine how upsetting that would be. And especially you're coming out of surgery. So your brain is foggy and just, you know, like that's a, that's an insane moment to be living in. Yes. Right. And you know, all the drugs that you're on to be knocked out and, um, and just nothing prepares you for this kind of feeling of I don't know, the numbness of your body when you can't feel your legs and when you want them to move so desperately and they won't move. Um, and just nothing prepares you for it. So were you also thinking, because I'm thinking that my first question would have been like, was it cancerous? Yes, I was thinking that. And they did prepare me to say that they won't have the lab results immediately. So it took about a day to oh, get that. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's, that's asking a lot. That's a long time to wait to hear something yeah. like that. And so what did they tell you about the, how the surgery went once you were able to really listen and hear what they were saying? I, the point I remember of hearing is, so they, the um, surgeon had come out, hugged my family, hugged my husband and told them that it went awesome, that they were playing music in the OR, that they got the whole tumor out. 
And in one piece, even, um, and my, my husband, when he was able to come in and see me about an hour after coming to, when I was a little more with it, he looked so happy. And I remember, why do you look so happy? I feel miserable. (laughs) And he was like, they, it was great, Rachel. They got the whole tumor out. You're doing great. It was the best possible outcome. And I remember he was so happy about it. And I remember thinking like, wow, that. I do not feel that happy. <laughs> no, yeah. And and did they say, I mean, with the, that kind of a tumor, that's just something that just materializes out of nothing for no reason? There's no explanation for it? No explanation. Um, by their best guess, so this is a very large tumor and they grow really slowly. Hmm. Their best guess was that it had been growing six to eight years. Um, oh my gosh. So had you never had an MRI before? No, and this was this was another in hindsight looking at um, God's protection and provision. I'd had this bad neck pain for about three and a half years, um, and last summer I had gone to a doctor and said, "You know, this pain is getting worse, and I've been living with this for a while. I got to do something about this." And he said, "Well, the X-ray isn't showing anything, so your next step would be to get an MRI." And so I, um, he gave me the script to go get an MRI and, um, a week or two later we found out I was pregnant. And so I did not want to get an MRI. Right. Um, yeah. It turns out, um, the neurosurgeon said it's totally fine to get an MRI while you're pregnant. But at the time I thought it would harm the baby. So I didn't get it. And, um, just praise God that I, I didn't get it a, an MRI earlier or else, you know, I, I don't know that we would have wanted to get pregnant knowing that I had this tumor growing. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's it's so strange that something so large in your body, like, wouldn't be detected. I mean, I don't know anything about medical stuff, but you think like, oh, something, an x-ray should show that, you know, or uh, just, it's just insane that it would not show up in any other way besides getting an MRI. But um, well, okay. So you come out of surgery, they've told you things are going great. Um, Were you then, I mean, were you want, did you want to see Hudson right away? I would think. (laughs) Oh yeah. This is the, one of the worst parts was when you're in the ICU, they won't let a baby come in because of all the risks. So went a couple of days without seeing him then. And that was just so hard. Um, just wondering, you know, like, what's he going, you know, those first couple of weeks and months, 
so many changes and feeling like I'm missing out or the bonding's not happening. That was really. And so how many days did you have to go before you could see him? Gosh, those first days in the ICU are kind of a blur. Um, I think it was four or five days in the ICU. And then they downgraded me and I was able to go back to a different floor where the baby could come in. And then um, a couple days after that, I actually had a pulmonary embolism um, where you get a blood clot that travels from um, your your thigh up into your lung. And I coded, code blue, uh, blacked out. Uh, my husband, my best friend, my mom, my mother-in-law, the baby were all in the room when this happened. And I think they said that like 35 doctors and nurses rushed into the room. Oh, my God. They rushed me to get a scan, and then, um, you know, they. My husband said that night actually might have been darker for him than the night of the that we got the news of the tumor because they thought I was dying. You know that, um, you know, my eyes roll back and I look like I'm passing out, um, and so I had to go back to the ICU where I was for a couple of days, where again I couldn't see Hudson, which is uh, like oh, I'm back there, I'm set back, I can't see my baby. Um, and the, I had these wonderful nurses after a couple of days in the ICU that are like, let's roll you out into the courtyard so that you can see your baby since the baby can't come up here. So they put me on kind of a, a rolling hospital bed and rolled me out into the courtyard and I was reunited with Hudson, which was just, we both lay there in the sun and it was just this beautiful angelic moment. I felt like the sun was shining right on us. Um. And, you know, I was, everyone was crying, the nurses were crying and, um, it's just, I, I will, I will never forget Hudson's little face at that moment. Well, tell me about what, because you were in the hospital then for how, how long, a couple months, two months? I was at, um, Hopkins for one month. One month. Okay. Mm-hmm. And did things start to, you started to come out of the darkness a little bit where you, weren't having that um, phantom feeling and you were able to start feeling things more? Um, You know, while I was in the hospital, so um, if you have any kind of surgery like this or any um, spinal cord injury, they test you probably two to three times a day um, to see if you've gained any new feeling back. And so they would, um, you know, can you do this? Can you push this? Can you feel this? Can you feel that? And kind of poke up and down my body and um, there was not a whole lot of change in my sensation. The biggest change was my, my left arm. So I like by the end, pretty much got my, my end of my hospital stay, got my left arm back, but my right arm was still pretty bad. And my legs, um, the feeling didn't change. I got more movement in my left leg, but not normal movement. Um, and then my right leg was still completely dead by the end of my hospital stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time we were like, was that a toe wiggle? Maybe that was a tiny little toe wiggle. Um, but that was, that was about it. Uh, so and the what doc- were the doctors telling you about things at this point? Yeah, they, spinal cord injuries, uh, they say are kind of like snowflakes. Each one is completely different. And, um, it's still kind of a mystery as to what part of the spinal cord internally controls what pieces. And Mm. so they just aren't sure, um, what you're going to gain back when you're going to gain back, if you're going to gain back anything. So, um, 
they told me, you know, my left leg was looking pretty strong, like it was gaining some strength back. So they they said their best guess was that I would at least be able to kind of walk with my left leg and maybe have a cane or something when my right leg stiffens up. And that was kind of um, their best guess at the time. Mm-hmm. And were your arms both working at this time? My left arm was almost back to normal. Maybe my fingers were a little weak, weaker, um, but my left was or my 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 left arm came back. My right arm was um, and still is not a hundred percent. So when I left the hospital, it was pretty bad. Um, still, I couldn't hold a pen or pencil or a utensil, um, and I had a lot of numbness throughout. Um, and now. Now my right arm is a little better. Um, my thumb and my pointer finger are still numb. And I see you've posted, um, you know, a couple videos of you doing some of your rehab, you know, working with, a, you had a, one with a walker and then um, working with a couple, looks like physical therapists walking on a, like a treadmill type of thing. Um, how much physical therapy do you do? How many hours a week are you spending on that? Yeah, so it started, um, when I left uh, Johns Hopkins, I went straight to an inpatient facility in Philadelphia, McGee Rehabilitation, and I was there for um, almost three months. And that was every single day, five days a week, three to four hours a day there. And um, the goal was just to get me up and moving. I went from being flattened in a hospital bed the whole time at Hopkins to getting into a wheelchair at McGee. And then slowly working the way up to where, you know, four people were helping me stand assisted out of my wheelchair. And then eventually, you know, they put me in a harness and try to help walk with the support of, um, you know, the harness pulling my weight up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, two and a half months at McGee, which they really got me up and moving and, and back at it. And then when I moved home on September 25th, um, I started doing outpatient therapy here um, in Washington, D.C., and now I go for uh, two to three days a week, and I'm there three hours a day. So it's pretty intensive, and um, they're really, you know, I, I try to get some good steps in with a walker every day, and if you would have told me, if you showed me a video of me today to me in the hospital, I would be so shocked of where I'm at now. Well, so you, you kind of breezed over that you were in the inpatient for three months, but I'm wondering if you can tell me, you know, what is your mental state during something like that? Because that's not a picnic to be living in a hospital and to be your main focus of the day is like hours of rehab. I mean, that's got to be a real mental strain. And then, of course, not to mention the fact postpartum emotions and not being in the same house with your child. So... How was your mental state? How did you get through the days while you were there? Oof, that was definitely, I mean, the hardest part. Because when you're in a hospital setting, you kind of feel like, I'm in the hospital now, and when I leave, I'm going to be better. I'm here because I'm sick. When you leave, you get better. Mm -hmm. And then it really hit me when I was in inpatient um, for those about three months that, oh, no, I'm disabled now. Um, I'm, I'm not just going to pick up my normal life that that's not going to happen. Um, even if, you know, years, a year or two down the row, I 
get walking back. It's not going to be normal. Um, who knows? I could be in this wheelchair for my whole life. I don't, I don't know whether I'm going to be healed or not. Um, and so just really grappling with what does it mean to be disabled was really hard for me. Um, I had been so active my whole life. My identity was really in my physical abilities and that's all of my hobbies were physical. Um, anything I did for fun, what my husband and I did for fun together, we loved backpacking and fishing and, uh, you know, our last big trip, we went on a safari in Africa and scuba diving and, um, I just, it's still really hard for me, but it was really hard at the beginning to imagine a life where I wasn't running around. And especially with my son, I think having a boy for my first child, maybe you identify with this. I just imagine, you know, going camping with him and running around with him. And it felt like um, all those dreams I had, had had to die. Um, and I had to figure out what rebirth looked like. And, um, just it, it was, it was really hard. And I went through a lot of time of asking God, why, why can't you just heal me right now? Why can't I like the lame man, take up my mat and walk tomorrow? Why aren't you going to perform this, this miracle right now? <laughs> I uh -huh. want a miracle now. God, wouldn't that show your glory? Um, and on a particularly low night, um, I won't go into too much detail here, but part of spinal cord injury is um, you also lose your, your bowel and your bladder, which mm -hmm. is maybe even harder than losing your legs. Wow. Yeah. Um, on a particularly hard night dealing with that, um, I'm up late with Taylor, who stayed over at the hospital a lot, and I'm just guttural sobbing. <laughs> And I said, Taylor, why won't God heal me right now? I don't understand this. And he said to me in his wise way that I just love about him, um, he said, Rachel, maybe the greater miracle is showing the world how to suffer well. And, oh, that just, I just, that was hard to hear, you know, that um, miracles aren't always the take up your mat and walk type of miracles. Yeah. Yeah, that would be hard to hear. Um, but it sounds like he, I mean, obviously he's your husband. So it's like he, he must have felt like that was the thing to say. That was what God had given him to say in that moment. Um, he, how has that relationship been with your husband? I mean, it sounds like he's just a wonderful guy. Um, just, I guess, talk, talk a little bit about how you guys have, as a married couple, as new parents, walked through this together. Oof, yeah, definitely not what we wanted for our new parenthood. Um, he's just been phenomenal. And, um, you know, we we're talking to kind of a, a, a mentor and friend about this. And uh, she said that this is something that I think has been uh, spiritually helpful for both of us. And sometimes when I feel really guilty because he's not only my husband now, he has to kind of be my caretaker. Um, I feel, I feel really guilty about that. I remember that like God didn't just give, you know, allow the spinal tumor to happen to me. It happened to both of us and it's Taylor's spinal cord tumor also. Um, and I feel like he really feels that way too, that um, it's something that 
you know, it's not just something that happened to me. It happened to both of us. And he, um, he's just a rock and it feels like nothing, nothing really phases him and has just been taken on a lot more of the parenting duties. And I think I had envisioned, you know, and I think as the mom, I just expected to be doing more and um, just wanted to be doing more. And, you know, he's the one for the first couple months who is getting up in the middle of the night with him and uh, changing those diapers at 2 a.m. And I think maybe I'd always thought that was going to be me. Um, so maybe in a way it's, it's kind of a gift for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met in D.C. through kind of a professional development program. Okay. So you went to the inpatient rehab, you got out, now you're doing a lot of physical therapy still, and that's going to be sort of the, uh, I guess, indefinite future is the physical therapy, but where do things stand now? Do you have any kind of prognosis at this point? Um, It sounds like things are going well with the physical therapy, which is awesome to hear. Um, So where do you see things moving at this point? Well, um, so I went back to my neurosurgeon for the first follow-up um, probably about three weeks ago, and he he saw the way my right leg is now moving, and he said, wow, I didn't think your right leg would have any movement at all for at least eight months, so I, I felt way ahead of the curve. You know, I'm about five months out of surgery right now. Um so he just was blown away and said, I'm way ahead of what I should be getting back. And um, I, uh, I'm i able to walk with a walker. And I say walk kind of hesitantly because it's a not very graceful walk um, that I feel like I gain a little more every week. So um, last week I walked 150 feet with the walker, which felt huge. Um and every week it just kind of gets better and better and I get a, like a new feeling back here and there. So um, I didn't really have sensation from my chest down. Um, and now I'm starting to feel kind of my ab muscles a little more, which is new and the deep muscles inside of my legs, which is new. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, I just, it sounds like they weren't expecting that and it just is better than they could have even hoped for, right? Oh, totally. And, you know, nobody wants to say what is or isn't possible, but um, I just, it's exciting when I see therapists and doctors kind of celebrating along with me that I'm making strides and, you know, it feels like, oh, maybe they're surprised that I'm moving a little faster than they thought. Do Do you feel like you have a positive attitude? Like you are, when you get up to go to rehab, do you dread it or are you thinking, okay, today, like, let's get this done? I really love rehab because kind of, um, like I said, I was always active, always, you know, a workout class was my, my fun time. Um, so this kind of feels like I'm going to a workout class and Mm -hmm. when I'm sitting in the wheelchair all day, it's good to get up and be moving and doing and lifting weights. And, um, I kind of feel like I'm getting the old me back. So I really, I really love going. That's, that's awesome. And how about the, uh, the physical therapist, did they make things better, just like their encouragement and personalities and things like that? Oh, physical therapists are such a gift. Like this is, I, I think it's such a tough job to be seeing patients every day that kind of have been through the ringer, right? And really tough life circumstances. And 
they have to come up with creative ways to get people with, you know, spinal cord injuries walking again. And it's a scary thing often. And um, I just think they, they're amazing. And what a cool calling. Yeah, that's yeah, I have a friend that's a physical therapist. And she's talked to me a little bit about that experience with working with people every day. Um, so are you, how are you now mentally? Like, are you feeling, um, are, do you, are you, do you experience episodes of depression? Is it kind of a roller coaster of emotions still? I'll have really great weeks where, you know, I'm doing great for a couple of days in a row and then something will happen where it's either a new reality of what it means to be disabled or, um, something health wise doesn't go right and I'll just get really down about it and it kind of throws me off my game. Um, and then I deal with kind of a lot of, I just feel uh, kind of guilty for, um, you know, my, my wonderful mom is living and helping us out. And then my husband um, having to do some caregiving for me and um, a lot more, you know, stuff around the house that I used to do that both my mom and my husband now do. And I just feel guilty that um, I'm not I'm not able to do as much as I used to um, and kind of like a burden, I guess, which I know they don't think of me like that. Um, but I tend to kind of go to a dark place and think, oh, I'm a burden. Oh, I'm not bringing anything to the table. Oh, what will what will my son kind of think of me like this? Like I'm not like the other moms. Um and it's kind of those times when those thoughts sneak in that it goes, I go to a, a darker place and um, it really, it really um, I have highs and lows and kind of ebb and flow between feeling like everything's great. I'm doing this. I'm progressing. I'm getting the hang of this wheelchair thing to um, the other kind of dark things I was talking about. So what, what are um, some things that you do to kind of combat some of that? Do you have any kind of routines or things that you listen to, music or podcasts or anything like that to where you it helps you? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. And um, like I said before, it would be, oh, I need to go on a walk or go on a run or get out in nature, and that would help me kind of reset. And now that that's not um, – feasible or easy to do, I'm starting to rethink what are those things that help me. Um, and it's uh, spending time with uh, dear friends has really helped me to kind of reset and talk things through and um, being able to be vulnerable and honest with where I'm at and um, get encouragement. Um, so I'd say resetting by going on a roll, not a walk with friends around the park. Mm-hmm. Um and them coming over and just having coffee and talking through things. Uh, that's been the most helpful. And do you guys live in a place where you can get outside pretty easily? Yes, yes. Um, so I, we live on Capitol Hill in a row house. And so I can uh, roll out the back door and go to parks. Um, so that's pretty, pretty easy to do from here. So I can get to Eastern Market or Lincoln Park from my house. Um, now what, did you have a plan before all this happened? Were you planning to go back to work or were you going to stay home? You know, um, I did have kind of a plan. So in January I started my own business. It sounds like a lot like what you've done recently. And, um, I had some great clients. Um, I had about four different projects going and it was 
wonderful because I was flexible. I did most of the work from home and then just would go in and out for meetings. So my plan was to have childcare maybe two days a week and then do the rest from home um, with my consulting business. And, um, you know, it was, it ended up, this has been really great because whenever I do decide I'm able to kind of go back and be able to take on any client work. I'd kind of already set up this flexible business that works with um, my disability and being a mom. Um, I don't know what it looks like yet, but it's definitely not as uh, not as I had planned it. Yeah, but you, you eventually would like to go back to it? I think so. I think it may be a diminished capacity. Um, you know, this has really taught me this whole experience that life is short <laughs> and you never, you never know what's going to happen. We're not guaranteed, you know, to have, you know, a certain life in our thirties, a certain life in our forties and like we had planned. And it makes me really, I don't know, you know, will I be able to have another child? I'm not sure. And I really want to soak in the time that I have with Hudson right now. Um, because I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do this again. And I want to kind of take in every, every moment that I can. So looking back, I mean, it's, I mean, talk about a whirlwind. I mean, this time last year, you were just pregnant and, you know, no idea what all was going to happen. But now you're in this place. Um, What would you say, I guess, that you've learned the most? Or what would you say that you've taken from this um, that you're going to walk away with and hold on to for the rest of your life? I think the biggest, I mean, I've learned so many things. But one of the biggest things that um, I've kind of, to realize is that, you know, throughout life, we always have hopes and dreams for what tomorrow looks like and that dreams that we're asking God for um, that don't line up with the reality of what today looks like. And I always used to feel this tension between um, the reality of today and then the what if about tomorrow. I have these dreams for tomorrow, but what if they don't happen? And I pray for them for years and they don't happen. And um learning to live in the in the reality of both of those things at the same time without um, there being attention. So having great hope and trust in God and praying for a future, an uncertain future you don't know about, while also living in the today that may not be what you want or dream. Um, but living in joy with the circumstances today, being able to have both simultaneously, um, I think that has been the biggest realization. And for people that maybe have a friend or, you know, are the friends of someone that's gone through something traumatic like this, what have been some of the best things that people have done for you? Mm, Man, we have had just an outpour from friends. And I would say doing anything, um, you know, don't be afraid to send a note, to send a text message, to, you know, send a care package or a meal or a donation or whatever you can do or are able to do or feel led to do, just do it. Um, I don't think anyone did anything for me that felt wrong. (laughs) (laughs) there was never a time I got a text message and thought, wow, that was invasive. No, I mean, I always, always appreciated it. And, you know, sometimes 
I either felt out of it or bluesy or exhausted and I just couldn't get to answering people's text messages or whatnot. Um, I still read them and cherished them at the time. So um, I just say, if you're on the fence, just reach out to someone who's in the hospital or hurting with whatever you've got, whatever words you have. There's no no wrong thing you're going to do. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, so throughout this and then maybe just for the whole of your life, do you have any role models or inspirations or people that you look to for guidance or inspiration? Oh, man, um, a lot. <laughs> um, I, there's so many women I admire. Um, there's particularly a guiding light in my life has always been my grandmother who died when I was about 11 years old. She, um, an amazing woman who grew up in, in Lithuania and Soviet Depression and actually um, immigrated to Canada after uh, during World War II when her family was uh, forced to flee their home. And I just thought her story was so amazing how she and her family survived um, communist depression and uh, made it here and restarted a life here. Um, and, you know, in my 20s, I always kind of thought like, man, my life is so good <laughs> compared to that generation that saw so much. You know, I feel like I haven't had any adversity. And I felt like her story of overcoming adversity uh, made her who she was. And I always wondered, like, I wonder what, when in my life I'm going to face adversity. <laughs> <laughs> and now you found and out. And now I found out a little different. but <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's great that she is someone that you can look to for that kind of strength, though. Um, have you been able to get any reading done while you've been um, in recovery? Yeah, you know, not as much. I went. I started the year with, like, big goals on what I wanted to read. Um, and then, you know, haven't quite hit hit what I thought I was going to, but there were um, two books I read in the hospital that made a big impression. Um, one is Hope Heals, uh, the story of Catherine Wolfe and her husband, Jay Wolfe, um, which is an amazing read on suffering and injury. And I felt so much connectedness to her story because she had a stroke um, six months after having her baby and she was and in rehab. And um, I just felt so much similarity between our stories that that really helped. And then um, the book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkhurst. Oh, yeah, that's been such a bestseller this year. People love that one. I, I have read it as well. And it's really good. And I haven't read the one that you just mentioned, but I've heard Catherine Wolf on another podcast. And I know that she does have uh, an incredible story as well. Um what is, last question, <laughs> this is a big one, but what's something that maybe later down the line you're going to talk to Hudson about during this time? What, what are you going to tell him about this crazy time after his birth? Oof, gosh, I've thought about this a lot and I feel like I don't have a good answer yet. Um, I feel like I'm going to tell him that God has such great plans for his life that um, despite me having this large tumor in my spinal cord, I didn't know it all while I was pregnant with him and that he came out so healthy and he, um, he was made to be here despite the odds and um, a really cool story about his name. So we had chosen to name him, Hudson Taylor, after the great missionary from the 1800s, uh, missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm reading a story about uh, missionary Hudson Taylor, who's a man known for his great faith, despite feeling, you know, like maybe he um, wasn't fully prepared, like most of the great men of God. And um, I'm reading a story about him and it says, Hudson Taylor was born on May 21st. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my Hudson Taylor was born on May 21st. <laughs> that is crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I remember that name. And I think I, back when I took a mission trip when I was a teenager, the only books we were allowed to read were biographies of missionaries. And I'm pretty sure I read his. So I need to refresh her though. <laughs> it was really popular in the 70s, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's I love seeing your smile. I mean, I I feel like you are a smiley person. Maybe I'm wrong, but I love seeing your smile on Facebook. I love seeing your progress. um, And it's really just an honor that you would take the time to share this story with me and um, provide, I'm sure, hope for other people that are maybe more in the beginning of a journey like this. Well, thanks, Erica, so much. And I hope it helps someone out there. And I'm definitely not done with the story yet. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Rachel. Isn't she pretty incredible? I just love her attitude and just her progress that she's making. And her little baby boy, Hudson, is just so adorable. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating review on iTunes. Otherwise, I will see you next time. Have a good one. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.